Today on Awaken to Grace, we introduce a brand new series called The Life of Joseph. And I know that so many of you listening, like me, you're going to be able to find yourself somewhere in the life of Joseph. We chose to call this series Providence because every step that the Bible records in Joseph's life, we see providence. And if you look into your own life, if you look over your own past, I'm sure that you can see the providence of God. You can see the hand of God with you. Well, today we're going to talk about dysfunctional homes. And the main point is that God redeemed Joseph out of a dysfunctional family. And the point we're walking away from today is that God still redeems people from dysfunctional homes. The way you maybe grew up isn't the way you have to be today. It's not how you have to raise your children today. So I know there's a great deal you're going to learn from today's principles, and I hope that you'll follow along with us. We're going to be in Genesis 37, and this is the introduction to Joseph's life. Today we began a journey, a six-week journey, on the life of Joseph. Now, I am so excited to share his life with you and lay out many principles that you and I can implement into our own lives, into our own families. And it's my prayer today, while today is a very different sermon from what I typically preach, I'm praying that the Lord speaks into your life. And I realize that there in an audience like this, and especially those who watch, those who listen online, there are so many different situations within the audience today. I know, I know that the Lord is going to speak in many different ways, and I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do just that. Now, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37, and we're actually only going to be in a few verses that we look at in detail. Uh, Really, today is going to span the entire chapter of Genesis 37, and I'll walk you through just a bit of that. But we're really going to focus only on one uh, primary scripture, and the reason why is because I want to show you the history of how Joseph grew up. If you and I are going to appreciate the full context of Joseph's story, then we not only have to understand the early part of Genesis 37, but we have to go back much further than that to understand some of his family history. And the premise of today, what the point of today is going to be, is that Joseph lived, he grew up, in one of the most dysfunctional families I think we'll find on record. Uh, Joseph grew up in an incredibly dysfunctional home. And my point today is that in all of the counseling that the Lord allows me to do, uh, I'll just be honest with you, and and not just one-on-one counseling, but just in, in my conversations with people, I think... Today, it's more common that people are growing up in a dysfunctional home than not. Would you agree with that? And to be honest and to be fair, I think it's always been that way. I think in generations past, I think many have grown up in dysfunctional homes. I think just generations before us were better at hiding it. 
but I think it was there. And why has dysfunction always been there? Because sin has always been there. And so what I appreciate, I'll just share with you very transparently, one thing that I appreciate as a Bible teacher, as someone who not only studies but teaches the Bible, uh, even as a career, as a living, let me tell you what I appreciate, not only in that but in my pastoral ministry but also in my personal life. I appreciate how transparent the Bible is. You know, sometimes I think if I were the Lord and I wanted people to believe in my word and I wanted people to follow my word, I don't know if I would put bad things in it. I don't know if I would show the horrible mistakes that people made. I think I would have made it a lot more rosy. But that's not what the Bible does. You know, the Bible shows us so many of the mistakes, so many of the sins of God's people It shows us this. And it shows us this so that you and I have the opportunity to avoid it. And so today I want to talk to families. Now perhaps you're here today and you're single. Perhaps you're here today and you don't have children. And you go, oh, well, you know, that doesn't apply to me. No, no. You're you're going to find some things that apply. But today, very heavily, I want to talk to families. And I want to show you, this is the premise. God redeemed Joseph out of, out of a dysfunctional home. And I want to say to those of you who perhaps you grew up in dysfunction, perhaps you grew up in a home life that was absolutely a mess, perhaps you grew up under an abusive father or a neglective mother, or perhaps you grew up in a family that overlooked you or told you you would never be anything in life. Perhaps you grew up in a home of favoritism where your sibling was far more favored than what you have ever been. Whatever the case, There are all kinds of situations in our audience today. And whatever the case is, this is what I want to say to you. God redeems people out of dysfunction. And that may be the way that you grew up, but that doesn't mean that's who you have to be today. Joseph grew up under one of the most dysfunctional homes recorded in the Bible, but that's not the way he ended up. He changed his story. God's grace, God's providence changed his story. And so today, if you grew up in a dysfunctional home or you grew up in whatever kind of mess, I want you to know today there's hope for your life. There's hope in the way your home life is. There's hope in the way you raise your children, in the way you steer your grandchildren. There is hope today because God redeems people out of dysfunction. Amen? And that's what God did for Joseph. So we begin in his story in chapter 37. Now let me tell you a few things about Joseph that you should note. And you may need to turn me down just a bit in in the system. Uh, Let me share with you a few things that I think is very important for you to know and to understand when we talk about Joseph's life. Number one, I want you to know that the Bible divides Joseph, his life, into three sections. 
The first section is here in Genesis chapter 37. It's uh, ages 0 to 17. And today we're going to cover that section. We're going to talk about his early life and what set the stage for the rest of his life. But number two, you need to know the next section of his life. He's in Egypt, and this is between the ages of 17 and the age of 30. Joseph suffered incredible affliction. Joseph went through all kinds of testings, and we're going to get into all of this throughout our series. He was, hired, he, was, he was purchased as a slave by Potiphar, very high-ranking government official in Egypt, and Potiphar's wife tried to get him to have an affair with her, and when he refused the affair, she cried rape, and she falsely accused him of rape, and he was thrown into the king's prison. I think of all the sermons of the series, I'm looking forward to that one the most. We're going to call it the king's prison. Amen. When God has you somewhere on purpose. And here Joseph finds himself as a young man throughout his 20s, imprisoned falsely, rotting in an Egyptian prison. But God was with him. The Bible says the Lord was with him. And then... Joseph ends up standing before Pharaoh and he interprets some pretty serious dreams for Pharaoh and he's promoted all the way to prime minister and then begins the last recorded section of his life, which is age 30 until his death. And there we see how God worked within his family and the reuniting of his family and his father and the forgiveness of his brothers. And, and you know, Joseph lived, I want you to know this, Joseph lived 80 years in that last section of his life. From the age of 30, he lived 80 more years. And you know what the point is? Because he forgave his brothers, because there was forgiveness in his life, God blessed those 80 years tremendously. What if Joseph hadn't have forgave? What if he had revenge in his heart? And what if he hadn't have forgave? What would those 80 years have been? But no, because he forgave and because he, the, he did the right thing, the, the last 80 years of his life was immensely blessed by the Lord. I think that's significant. And so what I love about the life of Joseph, what I love about his story is throughout this study, you and I are gonna see every human emotion we're going to see jealousy. We're going to see betrayal. We're going to see uh, temptation and false accusations. We're going to see isolation. We're going to see love. We're going to see forgiveness. We're going to cover all of these emotions are in the life of Joseph. I think it's interesting that when we look at the book of Genesis, there are such incredible characters. I mean, for crying out loud, we have Adam and Eve, right? We have Noah who escaped the flood. We have Enoch. I mean, we have Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I mean, there are such massive characters found in the book of Genesis. But I want you to think about this throughout our study. It's the life of Joseph that has more chapters and more content dedicated to his life than anyone else. Isn't that fascinating? Do you know why? Because the Lord has so much to teach us out of the life of Joseph. His life covers from chapter 37 all the way to chapter 50. 
and I've given us six weeks to study it. I'm going, oh, Lord, I should have done 20 weeks. We need, we need 50 weeks. We're going to cram it all in six weeks, all right? And the Lord's going to help us. So to understand when Joseph comes on this scene, is it okay if I just give you a little crash course in Jewish history for a moment? Will you, will you go with me through some of the details? Because if you don't understand the world in which Joseph is born, if you don't understand the home life into which Joseph is born, you're not going to fully appreciate chapter 37. For his brothers to hate him the way that they did, you've got to understand how he grew up. Today we're going to talk about the major mistakes that Jacob made as a parent. We're going to talk about how he created dysfunction within his home, but the dysfunction goes way back even further than his father, Jacob. It actually goes back to his great-grandfather, Abraham. Now, we know what scripture teaches about Abraham. Abraham was the friend of God. Abraham was a pagan, and he lived in the land of Ur, and he worshiped other gods. And one day, God called Abraham out of the land of Ur and said, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to make you a father of many nations, and you're going to go to the land that I tell you to go. And the Bible says that by faith, Abraham obeyed God. And Abraham went and his wife, Sarah, and they were promised that they would be the, the parents to many nations, but yet Sarah was barren and she couldn't have children. And not having children in that day was much different when it comes to culture than it is in our day. The pain may be the same, but the cultural view of it was far different. And so Sarah was barren. She wasn't able to have children, but yet God promised them a son named Isaac. And in their old age, God waited 25 years before he fulfilled his word. Well, Sarah thought she would help God out. And how many of you know when we help God, we, all we do is create a mess. God doesn't need our help, amen? amen? And when we start to help God, things fall apart. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. We are to trust the Lord. Well, Sarah does a very dumb thing. She says, Abraham, why don't you sleep with my, uh, with my uh, maidservant, Hagar, since I can't have children. Let's, let's help God. What a mess. So Abraham takes Hagar, and they have a son together, and his name is Ishmael. But then in God's timing, God fulfilled his word, and along came Isaac. Isaac was the promise. Isaac was what God promised to them. So Isaac and Ishmael are brothers and they're growing up in the same home and you're talking about dysfunction. And one day Sarah notices that Ishmael made fun of Isaac and thus began an eternal civil rivalry. And Sarah said, that's it, I'm done. Hagar's out, Ishmael's out. And she, oh, <laughs> And do you know that to this day, you and I are watching this civil rivalry play out? You see, Ishmael was the father of the Arab people. Isaac is the father of the Jewish people. And are these two siblings not fighting to our very day? Well, here, the Bible is going to follow the narrative of Isaac. Why? Because Isaac's the promise. Isaac is 
the chosen one of the Lord. So as we follow his narrative, watch how the dysfunction continues. So Isaac is going to meet a very lovely lady named Rebecca. And Isaac and Rebecca are going to wed. And I love their love story. It's fascinating. If you've never read it, you should read. Turn TV off. This stuff is fascinating. So Isaac meets Rebecca and they fall in love and get married. Well, they have two boys, and guess what their names are? Esau and Jacob. And oh, what a mess this is. You're talking about dysfunction. And the problem that Isaac and Rebekah had is that they played favorites. And Isaac favored Esau, and Rebekah favored Jacob. And it pitted them against each other. And they were very different. And those of you who have uh, multiple children, isn't it something how children can be raised in the exact same home, the exact same environment, and be totally different? And Jacob and Esau were completely different. The Bible says that Jacob, uh, uh, that Esau was very hairy and that he was a hunter. I picture him being a man's man. You know what I mean? I bet, I mean, I just picture him just always with a bow and arrow and with a deer slung over his shoulder, right? Chewing tobacco or something. I don't know. You know, he just, I picture him, I pick, you know, I... (laughs) You know, he's the one with the big light on, on his camel, right? The big redneck, whatever those things are called, you know? And Jacob was completely different. Jacob was more in the home, and apparently he was more around the kitchen, and Jacob could really cook. And one day the Bible says that Esau came in from hunting, and he was famished, and he was so hungry, and Jacob had been cooking, and Jacob had a bowl of stew, and Esau said, what would you take for that bowl of stew? And Jacob said, I want your birthright. Now today, in our culture, a birthright isn't anything what a birthright was in that culture. Birthright was everything. And Esau sold everything for one moment of pleasure, for one bowl of stew. How many people have sacrificed their marriage They've sacrificed their good name. They've sacrificed their career. They've sacrificed their money. They've sacrificed their testimony. How many pastors have traded their ministry over one bowl of stew? Don't ever make that mistake. He gave it all away for one moment of pleasure. Well, Isaac favored Esau, Rebecca favored Jacob. And so Rebecca comes up with an idea on how to trick Esau, uh, how to trick her husband Isaac. Ugh, dysfunction, dysfunction, so that Jacob would get the blessing. Now, these matters go far deeper than what I'm even telling you. You read Romans 9, and it even plays out into Romans 9. It's fascinating. But long story short, Jacob steals the blessing. He steals the birthright. And that's why today it's not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. It is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Esau is going to kill Jacob, so Jacob has to leave. He's got to flee. He heads north. Well, well, let me tell you what the Bible says about Jacob. Now, this is Joseph's father, Jacob. The Bible says he's a liar. 
The Bible, his actual very name, Jacob, means trickster, deceiver. And that's exactly who Jacob was. He'd swindle you so fast, you'd be swindled before you realized what happened. Oh, but you know what happens to deceivers? Sometimes in life, they run into a bigger deceiver than they are. You got five minutes for me to tell you the story? Let me tell you what happens. So Jacob goes north, and there he meets a man named Laban, and Laban has got a daughter, and he is smitten. This boy is in love, and her name is Rachel. Rachel was beautiful, lovely. And he's so in love that he goes to Laban and he says, Laban, I'm willing to do anything to win the hand of your daughter. What could I do that you would give her to me in marriage? And you know what Laban does? Oh, he's a bigger swindler than even Jacob. Laban says, work seven years for me. And at the end of the seven years, you can marry my daughter. I bet Jacob thought, I thought we were going to trade some goats or something, (laughs) camels. What is this? Seven years of labor, and at the end, you can marry Rachel. Well, he was so in love, he did it. He worked seven hard years to marry Rachel. Well, again, you and I can't appreciate everything because of our culture today. It's far different than that culture then, but in that culture, when they were wed, She was completely veiled. Well, guess what the swindler Laban did? Laban had another daughter who was not quite so attractive. And her name was Leah. And poor Leah. If my heart goes out to anyone in the Bible, it's Leah. Her father Laban makes her marry Jacob. And on their wedding night, Jacob doesn't know it, but he's not marrying Rachel. He's marrying her sister, her less attractive sister, her sister that he's not in love with, Leah. Jacob goes to Laban and says, "What? I want Rachel. And you know what Laban, that swindler, says? Work seven more years. And do you know what Jacob did? Because he loved Rachel, he worked 14 years to get her. I think to myself, how difficult were those seven years for Leah? Always being second place, always being in the back seat. Dysfunction. Now, all of this is important for you to understand the world into which Joseph comes. Abraham and Sarah had Ishmael and Isaac and all the dysfunction. Isaac and Rebekah had Esau and Jacob and oh, the dysfunction. And now Jacob and Rachel, along with Leah, were incredible dysfunction. So like Sarah, Rachel's unable to have children. She's barren. And again, this is a major, major issue in this world in which we're talking. She's unable to have children, and, but Leah is quite fertile. Leah's having children left and right. 
And as a matter of fact, when we pick up here in chapter 37, not only is Joseph, he's 17, but at this point, he has 12 adult brothers, 12. I'm trying to figure out what to do with two boys. Could you imagine have 12 boys, 12 of them? If you enjoyed today's broadcast and would like to hear more great content, you can always download our free mobile app, Awaken to Grace, where you can request prayer, find sermons, articles, blogs, music, podcasts, as well as support us financially. You can also visit either of our websites at www.preachingchristchurch.com or www.awakentograce.com for more information about our church or our resource ministry. Thank you for listening to Awaken to Grace.